Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? Happy, happy Easter to all of you today. And uh, first thing I want to do is I want to welcome all of our first-time guests. If you are here today, someone has invited you. This is your first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at Banta or our Franklin campus or our Seymour campus or our Garfield Park campus or our Greenwood campus here, or if you're watching online right now or at one of our e-microsites, we want to give you a very, very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests? We have prayed for you, we have planned for you, we've prepared for you, and we hope your experience thus far has been a good one. And if you're not brand new, I say this every week, and I mean it, welcome back. Uh, we're in a series right now called You Can Always Come Back, and uh, we've been talking about this idea of how to face setbacks, and we all have setbacks in our life, whether they're relationship setbacks or financial setbacks or marriage setbacks or parenting setbacks. Setbacks are part of life. What is a setback? We've kind of defined it like this. A setback is a check in progress, a reversal, or a defeat. And we have all kinds of setbacks in our life. Anybody ever have an automobile setback? Anyone? Anyone? Car accident, run out of gas. Anybody ever run out of gas? Yeah, it's a little bit of a setback. A couple years ago, my wife and I were on vacation with the kids, so it really, really was a trip. You know what I'm talking about? And so we're at, we're, we're at Lake Michigan, and my wife gets this pontoon boat rental for about three hours, which sounds so exciting. It really was. And so we drive over to the lake. We park the car. At this particular time, I had a brand new car. It's very, very exciting. Maybe a couple thousand miles on it. So we park the car. We get our coolers. We go down to the boat. We're about ready to get on the boat, and somebody comes running down the side of the, side of the hill. Who has a black SUV? Who has a black SUV? I'm like, I do. And the guy goes, it's on fire. I was like... <laughs> it's not on fire because my car is brand new and brand new cars don't, you know, spontaneously combust. That's just not what happens. The car wasn't running. It's not on. And, and I assure you, it's not my car. It's somebody else's black SUV. He's like, no, I think it's yours. I, th I saw you get out of it. I was like, okay, I'll come up and check it out. So I'm going up the side of the hill to where I parked. And sure enough, I start seeing smoke. I'm like, what? I go over to my car and sure enough, there's, there's a fire in the engine of my parked brand new Kia Telluride. At that point, what do you think I was feeling? <laughs> oh, it was a mixture of confusion, adrenaline, anger, frustration. I got the guy down on the side who's renting us the boat. Hey, you coming down? I'm like, my car's on fire. No, I'm not coming down to get on your boat, you know? Amazingly, the, the fire department shows up. Within a matter of seconds, they get out, they spray the car down, and, and this is a major automobile setback. I mean, what else do you say about this? And you're on vacation, right? This is a major vacation setback as well. And so, you know, they tow it away, and, and you know, we end up going on the boat. You guys think I had fun on that three-hour boat ride? <laughs> <laughs> 
And so we're, so we're on the boat. We finally get off the boat, and, and, uh, and we try to figure out what's going on. So we call the insurance company. We get a rental car, and, and I'm just so confused. So we go back, and you know, I'm just discouraged. I'm down. We've got a rental car. We're there trying to have a good time, but my car has caught on fire. My brand-new car has caught on fire. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm going through all the options of how this could possibly happen. I'm calling the Kia dealership. I'm calling the person that I got the car from, and the, hey, has this happened before? Do these cars, is there any other cars that are you know, just spontaneously combusting or whatever. No, no, no. And so I, it finally dawns on me that the night before, <laughs> we, I had forgotten to get some firewood because I like to do that in the backyard and, you know, have some fire. And so I forgotten. But there was a house that was under construction, like right around the corner from us. And I remember nobody was living there. It was like three quarters of the way done. There were some piles of wood in the yard and whatnot, some other things. And so I elbowed my son and said, hey, I'm going to park. I'll pop the hood. You jump out. <laughs> grab some logs off that, you know, nobody's home. I mean, is it stealing if nobody's home? I, I, I didn't think it was. So dad, and so my son's, my son's like, dad, are you sure? Like, this isn't our house and it's not our wood. Like, it's, it's fine, I'm a pastor, it's okay. <laughs> so he gets out, breaks, you know, goes against his conscience and he fills up the back of the car with some wood. And we have a great fire the night before. And so it dawns on me that, I think they saw us take the wood. And I think that they sabotaged my car. And I'm starting to tell my wife this theory because I, I have no other options. Like, I, how does a car, a brand new car, catch on fire? So I'm thinking the only thing that happened was these people got mad. They saw us steal the wood and then they came in the middle of the night and they put something on my car to make it, you know, explode. They were trying to kill us. I know that sounds crazy, but there's no other options on the table, right? So I'm trying, I'm explaining this to my wife. My wife is like, honey, they are not, they did not try to kill us, I assure you. I was like, there's, that's it, they did. So I'm looking out the window at these people. I'm driving around the corner looking, looking at trying to get a glimpse of who these people are, trying to kill my family. Well, the next day, I'm, I'm really having a bad time. I'm just not able to relax. I'm just kind of going it over it. And, and I, I, I go out the next morning to go for a run, and all of a sudden, I see a, a chipmunk run out from the rental car on the tire from the engine, just right across my feet. I'm like, what was that? So I go over to the rental car, and I open up the hood, and this is what I find. On the engine, it was a nest. This chipmunk had built a nest on the rental car engine in 24 hours. <laughs> so then I start putting this together. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what it did the night before to my other car. And then we took the car to the, and it, and it caught fire, and that's how, and so we're taking pictures and sending it to the insurance company. And so to prove that this theory was actually real, like I wasn't making it up in my head, because remember, I thought someone was trying to kill us. We set up a video camera. Actually, my wife does. We set up a phone outside to watch the car hit play and recorded for three hours. You would not believe this chipmunk. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Mouthfuls, mouthfuls of weeds and grass. And it built this enormous nest in the engine. I'm like, this is what happened. Thinking to myself, how does this stuff happen to me on vacation? Cars catch fire. Have you ever had an automobile setback? Anybody? It happens. It happens. Hopefully you had a comeback. 
So if we have these setbacks in life, which we do, we're going to have them. We have to get really good at comebacks. Do you agree, yes or no? We've got to get really good. And that, that's what this series has really been all about. In week number one, if you missed it, you can catch it on YouTube. We talk about the first step of a comeback. You have to believe it's possible. We doubt that we can come back from our setbacks. Week number two, last week, we talked about Nehemiah. And we said we have to have strong, compelling reasons to want to get back up and try again. If you missed that, you can check it out on YouTube. Today, I want to talk to you about this third step or third part in, in building or mounting a comeback. In your notes, I wrote it like this. A successful comeback requires a strategy. Now, a strategy is very simple. A strategy is a plan of action to make progress, to move forward, to get back up. That is what a strategy is. And last week we talked about Nehemiah, and we said, amazingly, he was able to lead Israel, lead the people of Israel to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. Now, some of you, when I say walls, you might be thinking a six-foot cinder block wall. Let's just get that out of our minds right, 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 right now, okay? I, I, what, what we're really talking about is a massive city wall that went around the entire city. In fact, recently, recently, archaeologists found remains of Nehemiah's wall, and they were able to configure and, uh, what the wall actually looked like based on all of their you know, uh, you know, computers and, and all the new technology. And so what they did was they actually rebuilt a section of Nehemiah's wall. Let me show you a picture of it. This is a picture of what the wall looked like when Nehemiah rebuilt it. Now you think, okay, that's a pretty nice sized wall. Is it, how big is it? Well, look, there's a woman standing on top of it right there. This wall is enormous, and it went all the way around the city. This was a masonry miracle. It was an engineering miracle. And of course, he did it because he had compelling reasons, but he also had a strategy. And I'm telling you something. If you need a comeback, whether it's a marriage comeback, whether it's a financial comeback, a physical fitness comeback, a spiritual comeback, a comeback from depression or anxiety or re relapse on drugs or alcohol, you must have a strategy. Nehemiah had a strategy. What was it? Chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at it. Then Eliashib, I think that's how you say it, Eliashib, the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the, the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. Now, that's chapter 3, verse 1. You say, well, what's the strategy there? Well, for the rest of the chapter... All, you can read it when you get home. For the entire chapter, chapter 3, it talks about how this person built this section of the wall. This person built this section of the wall. This group of people built this section of the wall. In fact, here's a list of all of the names in chapter 3 of the people that built different sections of the wall. Now, if you're an expecting mother and you don't have a name yet for your baby, you know, you might circle one of these, okay? Look at these incredible names. These are beautiful names. I love this one right here. Binig. Isn't that fun? That's a good name for your son or maybe your daughter. B Come here, Binig. <laughs> Go clean your room, Binig, right? These are all of the people, and there's actually more in chapter 3. I didn't, put all, I didn't put them all on there, that built sections of the wall. You know what their strategy was? Many hands make light work. Can you imagine if they used maybe a strategy that we would use today, like get a contractor who's got a group of maybe 10 guys and to rebuild this wall? How long would it have taken to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem with that strategy? No. They had all of these people build small sections of the world. They, of the wall. They had a strategy. Now, here's the thing. 
I wish I could give you a strategy today for your comeback. I really can, but I can't because I don't know what your comeback is. I asked you to identify what it was in week number one. I don't know what it is, so I can't give you a strategy. And I can't give you reasons either. So I, I, my, I have my reasons, you need your reasons. And I can't, give you a, I can't give you a strategy. But here's what I can tell you about the strategy you need in your life for a comeback based on Nehemiah's story. It needs, it needs two things. The first thing is your strategy must be simple. It must be simple. Tony Robbins said this, complexity is the enemy of execution. If you overcomplicate things, and for some reason, human beings love to do this. So, oh, oh, I need to come back. I know I'm on my marriage. Like, I need to do this and this and this, and then I need to do this, this, and this. And oh my gosh, we come up with like a 72-step plan to, to make a comeback. Complexity is the enemy of execution. It must be simple. Nehemiah's plan was simple. You do this. You build this section. You build this section. You build this section. Here's the rocks. Here's the stone. Go. It was a simple plan. So in 52 days, they were able to rebuild the wall. It must be simple. Dave Ramsey's seven steps are simple. Anybody familiar with Dave Ramsey? Right? Financial Peace University. He's helped tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have a financial comeback. Why? Because the seven steps are simple. What are they? Step number one, save $1,000. Step number two, pay off all your consumer debt. Step number three, save three to six, six months expenses. Step number four, fully fund your retirement account with 15%. Step number five, fully fund your kid's college. Step number six, pay off your house. Step number seven, build wealth and give like crazy. Why can I rattle those off? Is it because I work for Dave Ramsey? No, I don't. They're simple and they work and people can follow them and they get results. If you need a spiritual comeback, let me give you a very, very quick six-step plan. You ready for this? You're far from God. COVID messed up your relationship with God. This is the first time you've been back to church in a long time. You've stopped reading your Bible. You feel like your prayers are hitting a ceiling. Let me give you a simple spiritual comeback plan. Ready? You want to write this down? Number one, prioritize your relationship with God above everything else. Everything else. Jesus said it like this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and all these things will be added unto you. Make your relationship with God the number one priority in your life. Number two, choose a simple reading plan. Oh my gosh, there's a thousand of them on the YouVersion Bible app. Does anybody have that app? It's free. Almost a billion downloads. Okay, you have no excuse. Download the YouVersion Bible app, pick a plan, and start reading it. Number three, get the toxic people out of your life. Oh my gosh, people that don't care about God, people that don't want Jesus in their life, you're spending time with them and they're rubbing off on you. Get them out, fire them, <laughs> okay? Stop spending time with them. Number four, this one you probably wouldn't expect. It's a massive part of my life. Music, make yourself a playlist of amazing spiritual songs that draw your heart into worship and Christ. I do it every single day. I have music that draws my heart into God. Number five, make services, church services, a weekly part of your life, not just on Easter. Hey, listen, I know, last time I saw some of you was last year. <laughs> Hello. Make attending services a weekly part of your life. It doesn't even have to be this church. There's so many great churches in this area. Go to a service, right? And then number six, get in a group. Get in a group. Get around a group of people who are heading the same direction you are, which is pursuing Jesus. I just gave you a six-step plan, simple plan to have a spiritual comeback. You put that into practice, it's gonna work in your life. Number one, it must be simple. Number two, it must involve other people. It must, in, your plan must, in, this is the secret to Nehemiah's strategy. Like he got a hundred people involved and in 52 days they rebuilt the wall. For some reason we have this idea in our minds, maybe it's because we're Americans and I know we have some folks watching overseas, but in America we've got this John Wayne attitude. Well, I'll do it myself. 
Not much can get done by yourself. Certainly a comeback cannot get done by yourself. You need other people if you want to have a comeback. Listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person trips up, if one person has a financial setback, a setback when it comes to anxiety, depression, a setback when it comes to marriage or whatever, watch this. The other can reach out and help. And then the Bible gives us this warning. King Solomon says this. But someone who falls, say it with me, alone is in real trouble. Why? Because they lack the strength. They lack the insight. They lack the wisdom. They lack the encouragement. They lack the accountability. When you're by yourself and you fall, you're in real trouble. One of my favorite authors, his name is Henry Cloud. And he's uh, written several books. He's probably most famous for the book Boundaries. Some of you have probably saw that, read that. He's written a book called Integrity, fantastic book if you're into business. This book is one of my favorites. It's called The Power of the Other. It's It's a psychological, scientific approach to the influence that other people have on our lives. I want you to hear what he had to say. Science confirms that getting to the next level in your life, my life, is 100% dependent upon, say it with me, relationship. Wow. Making a comeback in your life is 100% dependent upon relationship. And that's what the science shows. But the relationship must be the right kind of relationship. More than just the ladies from the office. Your buddies that you graduated high school or college from. More than just your pals. And then he, he goes on to describe the right kind of people. The relationships must provide very specific functions and very specific energy. It must deliver very specific constructive experiences and encode very specific information within the brains of those in the relationship. The right kinds of relationships wire us for resilience and success. Wow. Science proves that if you want to have a comeback, if you want to level up your life, if you want to go to the next phase... If you want to get back up, you have to have the right people in your life. Alcoholics Anonymous has figured this out. They've got these amazing 12 steps, all of which are extremely biblical. If you're in the recovery uh, 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 world, the 12, so you can look at it. That's that's why it works, because they're very, very biblical ideas. Why doesn't Alcoholics Anonymous and other programs like it, why don't they just say to their people who are trying to get better, you know, hey, here's these 12 steps, good luck. Why don't they do that? Why don't they John Wayne it? Why do they say, here's the 12 steps, but they're going to work best if you go to a group meeting once a week, twice a week, hey, three times a week, if needed, four times a week. Why do they want you to do the 12 steps in the context of community? Why? Because of the power of other people. And then they take it a step further and they say, we we not only want you to do this in a group, we also are going to give you a sponsor who's going to encourage you, who's going to hold you accountable. You can call. They're going to be in your life. Why? Because we go further, faster with other people. If you want to have a comeback, you have to have the right people in your life. Listen, whether you're aware of it or not, you rise or fall to the level of the expectations, values, appetites, desires of the closest people to you. Are you willing to admit that? I am. That's why I choose the people around me very, very carefully, or at least I try to. Because I know in my life I'm rising or I'm falling to the level of the values, expectations, desires, 
Beliefs of the people closest to me. Someone said it like this. Your friends are like an elevator. They will take you up or they will take you down. They're not gonna leave you at the same level. That's not the design. That's not the purpose of elevators. Are your friends helping you to rise or are they causing you to fall? Your plan must be simple and it must include others. Now you might be thinking, what does all this have to do with Easter? Strategy, plan, comeback. It's interesting. And for an answer to that question, I want to turn to the very spiritual, very philosophical journal that comes out once a month called Sports Illustrated. (laughs) Back in 2001, in the November issue of this fantastic journal, there's an article called Bouncing Back Big Time. This is a copy of the page. It's the top 10 comebacks of all time, not just sports, all-time comebacks. Number 10 was Elvis Presley. After years of making terrible movies, he shocks the world in 1968 with his live TV special. I was not born. Did anybody see that? Apparently, he made this huge comeback and wowed the audiences. Number eight, go-go boots. Apparently, these are knee-high footwear that came back in a huge way in the year 2000. I might have seen a pair once. (laughs) Number five, Muhammad Ali. After being stripped of his boxing license for many, many years, he comes back and KOs George Foreman in Zaire in 1974. Again, I wasn't alive. Did anybody see that fight? Not sure. Uh, But apparently, it was a pretty good fight. Number three, I can't leave this one out. After leaving basketball in 1993, this person comes back my senior year of high school, 1995. He returns from baseball, his little hiatus, and he makes his comeback, and he wins not just one, not just two, but three more world champions. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about the great one, Michael Jordan. Who, by the way, is six for six in the finals instead of what? I don't know, four for seven? Isn't that what LeBron is? Aw. <laughs> but even the great Michael is only number three. Sports Illustrated goes on to say that the number one comeback of all time in the history of the world is Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, this is what they say, this is what they say. In 33 AD, Jesus defies his critics, stuns the Jews and the Romans with his resurrection from the dead. Sports Illustrated, that's incredible. You see, the the Jews and the Romans and the devil, they thought that that, that the grave could hold Jesus, but it couldn't. They thought that, that, that death could stop Jesus, but it couldn't. They thought that sin could defeat Jesus, but it couldn't. See, I wrote it like this in your notes. Easter is the greatest comeback story of all time anywhere in the history of the world. It's incredible. Think about it. Jesus dies and he, and he literally takes his life back from the grave. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. It's the greatest comeback of all time. Why did Jesus come back? Why did he bring his life back from the grave? Actually, Jesus came back to life. I just tweeted this. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you should. It's kind of fun. Jesus came back to life so that you could come back to life. You say, what does that mean? Well, in the book of Genesis, we read about humanity, how humanity screwed up 
Our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, they blew it big time. They chose the created thing over the creator. They ate the fruit. They disobeyed God. Listen to how Paul describes what happened in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, which is so interesting, he leaves Eve out of the situation. Does everyone wonder about that? <laughs> like she ate first and he doesn't even put her name in there. You want to know why? Because men are ultimately responsible that's the truth. Listen, Adam was standing right there. And Eve is having this conversation with the devil, and he doesn't intervene. He doesn't say, uh, can we get a timeout? Can we, uh, can, we just take, can we just think this through? Like, remember what God said? He failed to lead, and he dropped the ball. And men, we have been dropping the ball ever since. We have to do better. That's another sermon for another day. This is Easter, okay? <laughs> Anyway, Paul leaves Eve's name out. He blames it all on Adam, as he, as, as he should. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Okay, before their sin, there was no, before their sin, there was no sin in the world. Adam's sin brought this thing called, say it with me, death. You ever wonder why death hurts so bad? I had a conversation with a guy yesterday in the gym. He lost a, a colleague who was in his 40s. Just all of a sudden, healthy guy. Here in, the, in, 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 our, in our area, he worked for the fire department. And you could just see the pain on this man's face. He starts to tear up, and, and we're, just, we're just out in public at the, you know, in the gym. And he asked me this question. He says, why does it hurt so bad? He said, I've seen a lot of dead people, but, but when it's someone close to you, why does it hurt so bad? I said, here's why. Because it's not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to lose loved ones. Like, death is not normal. It's a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that's why it cuts so deep. And it messes with us. And it changes us forever. It's the consequence of sin. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Humanity had a major setback in the Garden of Eden, and we are still suffering its consequences. Are you aware of that in your own life? Everyone has sinned. We are all in the same boat. But God saw this situation. He's like, no. That's not why I created humanity, to be separated from me by this thing called death, both physical and spiritual. And so you know what he did? He came up with a strategy. The greatest strategy in the world. It was simple and it involved others. It involved the spirit. It involved his son. It involved weak, foolish preachers like myself. He put together a strategy to reconcile man and God. Listen to what Paul said in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own, say it with me, his own love. For us, me, you, in this, that while we were sinners, suffering the consequences of Adam and Eve's choices, Christ died for us on Good Friday. Wow. God's comeback strategy for you and I is Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. He takes the penalty of our sin. He pays the, the, the cost of our mistakes. See, the penalty of sin was death, and Jesus dies in my place. He dies in your place to what? To bring us 
back to God. I love the way Peter explains it. He puts it so beautifully. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. He was completely innocent, but he died for sinners, me and you. Why? Why did he die on the cross that day 2,000 years ago? Peter tells us, to bring us safely home to God. See, the word love and home are so important because they they speak to relationship. What is love if there's not an object to be loved? You, folks, you, individual person, me, you are the object of God's love. And so Jesus dies. He does what's best for us to bring us safely home to God. Think about that word home. Last night, our our, uh, a couple of days ago, our oldest son came home from college and we had all three of our kids under one roof, which is rare these days. And last night after church, we were able to go home and make some pizza, some homemade pizza and have a fire in the backyard. I didn't steal the wood this time. <laughs> and we just sat around the fire and we had fellowship, which is so rare for our whole family to have. It was It was relationship, it was home, we had intimate conversation, we talked about very important things. This is what God wants to do with you. He wants you around his fire pit to talk to you and be with you and express love and receive love from you. That's what Christianity is. It's not religion, it's not church, it's God bringing you home to himself through the sacrifice of his son. Is that amazing? That's, that's why Jesus came back to life. He came back to life to bring you back to life. What is a strategy? It's a plan to make progress. It's a plan to come back. And what we've said so far in this series is that everyone has setbacks. And if you want to have a comeback, you have to put together a little equation. And I've built this equation for you. There's four steps to it. And we've covered three so far. The first step is belief. You have to believe, then you have to have reasons. You can check these messages out on YouTube from last week. You have to have compelling reasons, and you have to have a strategy. Nehemiah had a strategy. Now, notice this last one here is blank, because that's next week's message, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to come back to church. Hey, you can always come back, okay? That's the title of the series, to get step number four. And if you do these four steps, you are going to be able to mount a comeback no matter what the setback is. But let me swing back to what I was just saying for a second. God's comeback plan for you is Jesus. Easter is the the greatest comeback story of all time. It's God's expression of love to you. Louis Giglio wrote a book called Comeback. He's the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta. Some of you may, how many of you have heard of Louie? They do a big worship thing down there. And I picked this book up and I was reading through it. I came across this sentence. It was so powerful. Listen to these words from Louie, Pastor Louie. He says, the entire story of humanity is a story of people who have stumbled and fallen. Do you agree? Are you willing to admit that you have stumbled and fallen? Yet somehow, in the ocean of God's grace and mercy, he provides a comeback for anyone who puts their faith and hope in Jesus. Wow, what a statement. My heart was broken on Friday night because I was watching a documentary on Anthony Bourdain. Some people say Bourdain. 
I used to watch his show all the time, Parts Unknown. Anybody else on CNN? Love that show. Two years ago, Anthony committed suicide. And I was confused because he's out there living this amazing, amazing life eating all kinds of crazy food and going to every part of the earth and seeing, seeing the most beautiful, amazing things on, on, that this planet has to offer, and, and he commits suicide. And I was, I, I've always been confused, like, why? So I'm watching this documentary. It's about two hours long, and throughout the documentary, you can kind of see that Anthony was one of these guys that was in search for happiness. He was knocking on every door. He was looking. He was asking questions. He was, just trying, to, he was trying to figure out life. He really, really was. He was a thirsty, thirsty soul. He was addicted to heroin. He, was, he had problems with alcohol. He, but he was searching for truth, and he wanted to know what life was all about. And towards the end of the documentary, he's talking to somebody about happiness, and he makes this statement that just broke my heart. He said, I think it's too late for me. And when he, when he said it, I thought of the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other human beings in this world who think the same thing. I think it's too late for me. I think I'm too far gone. I don't think there's any hope for me. And he bought that lie. And it was a lie from the pit of hell because we serve a God who is a God of the comeback, who says to you and he says to me, it is never too late. And you know who you are, but you need to hear this today. You stumbled in here because you thought you should go to church on Easter. You didn't know you were going to be ambushed by the love of God. And he's saying to you today, don't you ever, ever think that you're too far gone or that it's too late for you because I am the God of the comeback and I love you. And I will always love you. He's reaching out to you today and he's demonstrated his love for you by spreading out his arms and allowing himself to be crucified to bring you safely home to his father. Here's my question today. Is this your comeback moment? You finally get it. Do you fi will you finally receive the love and grace of God? We're getting ready to baptize some folks here. And it's a perfect day to baptize folks. Because baptism is a picture of, of dying to the old way and coming back to life. Dying to the old man and being raised to newness of life in Christ. And so as we watch these baptisms, I want you to receive the message of hope that it is not too late for you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, speak to people now through these baptisms. Give us hope. Open hearts. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we just have a moment before we depart? I'd like to invite everyone just to kind of close their eyes and, and just almost imagine it's just you and you and Jesus. I believe this is what he would say to you. I've been chasing you with my goodness your whole life. Do you see it? Can you feel it? 
I let them put nails through my hands and nails through my feet. I let them put a crown of thorns on my head. I allowed them to mock me and spit on me. I allowed them to hit me over, a, over the head with a stick and pull out my beard. I allowed them to whip my back until there was no skin left. And I did that for you. I took the penalty of your sin upon myself. I laid down my life. I took it back so that you could come back to life. And I did it because I loved you. Receive my love today. If you heard Jesus' voice, respond in faith. Reach out to him. Take these words. Turn it into your own prayer, your own conversation. Say this to him, dear Jesus, I receive it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for dying in my place, taking upon yourself the penalty of my sin to bring me home to your Father. I receive your love today. Make me your child. Bring me back to life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? People coming back to life, true spiritual life. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just reached out in faith, we want to put what we call our saved box in your hands today at all of our campuses. If you just trusted Christ, text the word saved to 65248. You can grab one of these at the information desk at your campus. If you're watching online, give us a little bit more information. We'll send one to you in the mail. There's a Bible in here. There's some instructions on how to get connected to the church, small group, baptism. And there's also a coffee bug in here to say congratulations for trusting in Christ. Can we give God glory today, church? One more time, amen. Our God is the God of the comeback. The grave could not hold him. Sin could not stop him, right? Death could not prevent him from coming back to life so that you can have a relationship with Christ. Is anybody excited about that today? Amen. Woo. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you glory. We give you glory for the simple strategy to redeem mankind. It's so simple, a child can understand it. Help us respond in faith. Help us respond in love. Jesus, thank you for reaching out to us while our backs were turned on you. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. We love you. Help us to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. God bless you guys. See you next week for week number four.